Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and learn to serve Him. I'm excited about this lesson you're going to hear. This is a part of our 2005 Fall Focus, Built by the Lord. Brother Phil Cavender, a brother in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, presented this lesson based on Joshua chapter 24. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24, and let's learn together how we can make the choices to serve the Lord in our family. Good morning. If you've got your Bible, if you would be turning in the book of Joshua over to the 24th chapter, Joshua chapter 24, and that's where we'll begin our lesson this morning. Good to see each and every one of you here on this Lord's Day. We can come and uh, be a part of this worship service to worship our Creator and the giver of all good blessings that we have in this life. Joshua was 110 years old when the text was recorded that we see in Joshua chapter 24. He was about to die. And when a person is about to die, the words that are on their lips, I've always found to be something that I want to listen to. When people get older in their years, I enjoy the thoughts and the remarks that older people make. I enjoy being with my mom and my dad. My dad will turn 79 here in a few days. My mother turns 77. My dad's still of good mind, very keen mind. He always has had that. But I enjoy him more now than I've ever enjoyed him before. Because I want to listen to his words. I want to listen to his experiences. I want to listen to the wisdom that's going to come forth from the lips. And so when we have before us the words here of Joshua on this occasion, we see here he's spending his final moments with the people of God. And he's leaving them and he's imparting them with a message. Something that if there's one last thing, I can say to you, this is what it's going to be. And so he's going to record these things. So we really see here the ending of his life. So many other times in the Bible we see other occasions where people had similar things in the Bible that are recorded. We could go over to the book of uh, 2 Timothy in chapter 4, I believe it is, and in verse 6. You have there the recorded words of Paul there, as he said uh, on that occasion. He was talking about that uh, he was about to be offered up as a drink offering. And uh, his departure was at hand. And so he's reminding the people of something that's going to be very important. And they should listen up. They should pay attention. Because these are my parting words. We could also look at the story of Moses in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 31 there, you have the life of, or the end of the life of Moses. And you see there in chapter 24 there, how he completed writing the books. The books that the people were to carry with them, the law. They were supposed to carry it with them and look at it and review those things. It was the history of God's people. Chapter 32 there of Deuteronomy, you see there the song of Moses. The song of Moses. And that was going to be the reminder to the children of Israel. You saw there in chapter 33 there, the blessings that Moses was going to give. 
on that occasion. And then, of course, in chapter 34, you have the death of Moses. His final words, they were important words. They were words people should listen to. They're words people should respond to. And they should listen up. Because they're words packed and full of meaning. In the book of Second Peter, in Second Peter chapter 1, you have Peter as he is beginning his final uh, statement to the people of God. And he talks there, knowing that the laying aside of this earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me in verse 12. He says, "My, he's about to make his exodus, or as the word is, exodos, from which we get our word exodus. My departure is at hand. My exodus, my exit out of here, is at hand. And so I want you to know these things, Peter tells the children. He says, I want you to know that we did not follow cleverly devised tales, as some may say, because we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Don't you come along later and tell us that these things didn't happen about the one who we're willing to die for, because you weren't there. But I want you to understand they did happen because we were there. And we were the eyewitnesses of those things that occurred. And his departure, his death is imminent. He's going to be crucified as Jesus foretold that he would be. And all that Peter had to have in order to have his freedom with regard to his life to live a few more days on this earth was to renounce Jesus Christ and just say, Caesar is Lord, and he could have had his freedom. He's had 35 years now or so to think about all the things that occurred during the life of Jesus or after Jesus died. So he's had plenty of time to weigh the evidence that if something wasn't quite certain or sure, in 35 years or 30 years, 35 years, there's plenty of time for doubt to begin to creep in and you justify why something may have happened. And maybe the inaccuracies begin to creep in and cloud his memory or his mind. But not Peter. He wasn't going to deny the Lord. He was not going to deny him at this time, and yet he was somebody that had experience. He was experienced at denying the Lord because he had done it before. And when the heat was on and when his life was at hand on one occasion, he denied the Lord so he knew how to do it, but not now. And so he's lived this life for his Savior and he's willing to die. And so when we come to the book of Joshua here, and we look at Joshua chapter 24, we're seeing really the end of the life of Joshua. He's lived this life in service to God. But I'll tell you what I want to do this morning. Hold your place there in that passage. And I want you to go back with me because let's see the start of his life, or at least the start of this journey that he was on back in the book of Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 31 there, 
In chapter 31, let's pick up our reading in verse 19, because it says, Now therefore, write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips so that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. For when I bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous, when they will turn to other gods and they serve them and spurn me and break my covenant, then it shall come about when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify before them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten from the lips of their descendants. For I know their intent which they are developing today, before I brought them into the land which I swore. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the sons of Israel. Then he commissioned Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. There was the beginning. And there was the beginning that we saw here. I want you, Joshua, I commission you to be strong and to be courageous. These words will be with you. I will be with you, God says. And so he sets forth in this life of service. And so now when we come as you, where you're turned over in the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 24 now, we've got the end of his earthly life. And so with that, He says there in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And so when he comes down to the very end of his life, after all this time, he comes to a conclusion there. And I see that when he does this, before he does this, and before he pronounces these things, his conclusion upon the people, he also wants to review their history. And I find it so many times how interesting it is when someone's about to die that they want to review the past. We see it in the case of Peter. We see it in the life of Paul. We've just seen it in the case of Moses, as we've just read. Stephen, before he was stoned. Peter, on that great day of Pentecost, at least on that occasion, he reviewed the history of the people. He brings them up to a point to review the past so they'll know what the present is and what they should do and what the future holds for them. And so on this occasion, Joshua here, he's going to review their history. And friends, this morning, it would be good for us. It's good for us to, and it would do us well to review our past. To look at our past. Recollection and anticipation. Uh, they broaden and they deepen our life. You know, memory retains possession of the past. And our memory enriches life if we learn from it. So many times, I think one of the greatest teachers in life is just the thing that we've experienced in life. 
when we talk about sometime, I'm in the financial world. And when I ask people about assets, tell me about your assets. So many times what people will say, well, I've got some cash and I've got this in my checking account and this is what my brokerage statement says. This is my real estate holdings. Uh, these are my other investments and all of these things. And they list out all of their assets. You know what they're talking about? They're things. They're financial things. And my point sometimes, is there anything more important in your life than these things? And they'll sometimes, they'll begin to think, they'll go, well, yes. So what are they? And they'll say, my health, my family, my relationships, my friends, they're more meaningful. And see, they're assets too. And we should be making deposits into those accounts every day with our family, our friends, our relationships, just like we would a financial account. But there's intellectual assets too. Things like our knowledge and our wisdom and our experiences in life. And oh, haven't experiences been a wonderful teacher for all of us. And how many times have we learned more from the bad experiences in life than we ever did from the good ones? That's been the case in my life. And I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what, life's bad experiences have been a wonderful teacher. And I would imagine this morning in an audience of this size, that there are people here this morning that are struggling with some things in their past. And see, it does us well sometimes to recollect and to think about these things because memory is important. We do well to remember these things. The past is never wholly gone. It lives in our memory. It lives in its effects. And it can be called up for judgment. And so a right review of God's action in the past will show us every time that I've ever seen where I've veered off myself I can come back to God's Word and realize He was right all along. In the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in verse 24, I think of this passage here. And it's not in my notes, but I just as I'm speaking, I think of this because, look at this text, because why do we have the commandments of God? In chapter 6, verse 24, So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good also and for our survival as it is today. Why did God give His commands? It's certainly to fear Him and to reverence Him and respect Him. And, uh, but He's saying there, if we'll follow these commands, it's for your good to do it. And haven't you, at times where you've messed up in your life, if you're like me, when I've messed up in my life and I look back on things, I realize I could have had a lot different result had I just done what God had asked me to do in the very beginning. Choices that we make in life. Today you're going to have some choices. 
And see, whatever plight you're in right now in your life, wherever you arrive at today when you arrived at, is only because of the choices you made yesterday. Because where you're at is a result of the choices and see where you will be tomorrow will be a result of the choices that you decide on today. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord, was Joshua's conclusion. And so see, you see here the results of his review. So now we're at the end of this life and he's going to review some things for us. And here's his review. He's saying, if I can tell you just these few things that will benefit you, they were, the, they were the same things that Moses taught me. And as I leave this earth, I want to teach them to you. And he says there to fear the Lord in the 14th verse there. He says, fear the Lord there. You know, I see sometimes these uh, t-shirts or things or commercials says, no fear. You know what, every time I look at that, I think, I'll tell you what, they must not be a Bible believer. Because I'll tell you what, when you read God's Word, Brother Tidwell, you said that, uh, where's Brother Tidwell? When you said that about uh, Hebrews chapter 10, you wish you had the time to look at it this morning. When you said that, you said you wanted to leave it up to me. That was already in my notes. So I'm going to leave it. You've left it up to me. So let me take it. In Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 26. Because here, the Hebrew writer says this, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. The point he's making here, the Hebrew writer is making, if you keep on going the way you're going, if you're sinning willfully, there's not going to remain any more sacrifice for sins. And so the point is, if there doesn't, then where in the world are you going to go to for forgiveness? You have nowhere else to go. And so you can't go to forgiveness. And so, what remains then? If you just keep it up, what remains? There will be no more sacrifice for sin for you. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? It's an insult to God if we just keep on sinning. And there remains no more sacrifice. It's useless. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I'll tell you, there are things sometimes that scare me. Little things, a sudden burst of noise or something, kind of scare me and alert me. Oh, so that scared me. But I'll tell you what, nothing 
There's nothing to even compare it to. There's not a comparison. And so when I look at things and I see what Joshua is trying to tell us, he's saying here, you need to fear the Lord. Because, see, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the the hands of a living God. He is a consuming fire. And so he also says there to serve the Lord. In verse 14, serve Him in sincerity and truth. We will serve the Lord our God and we will obey His voice. In verse 24 is what it says. And so when we do this, see, the fear precedes the service because we cannot rightly serve Him with our hands until we serve Him with our hearts. We've got to give Him our heart service. Only then will our hands be meaningful in our work. Reminded of a story of of a restaurateur up in New York City. This was a number of years ago now. And uh, there was a lady that uh, was a patron one evening in the restaurant. And she delighted in one of the menu items that was being served that the restaurateur had created, the chef. And she said, would you mind if I had the recipe? To which they, the chef provided the recipe for her. And so she was delighted that she had the recipe that she could enjoy when she got back home. And later she came back. And she told the restaurateur, the chef, she said, you know, you gave me the wrong recipe. And he said, I don't think I did. So they started going through the recipe. He said, yes, that's right. That's right. And he said, that's the recipe. And she said, well, it doesn't taste the same. And he said, well, that's the recipe. But then he said, oh, I know what it is. You left out the most important ingredient of all. You left yourself out of it. You left yourself out of it. Because, see, with this creation that this chef had, he threw himself into it. And that recipe, he could take it and he could fashion something with it that people delighted in and enjoyed and came to his restaurant for. She just made the recipe. And there's a difference in that. I was with last, uh, two weeks ago with Truett Cathy, the founder of, of uh, Chick-fil-A. And he said, you know, we could never compete on the basis. We can never compete with a McDonald's or or Kentucky Fried Chicken in trying to reach their size. So we don't try to. But he said what we know we could do was we could compete with them on the basis of service. So he said that's why we have flowers on the tables in our restaurants. That's why we have grinders for the pepper. At a fast food place, fresh flowers, a grinder, and he, he had a quote, I don't have it with me, he said something, the roast always tastes better when the hostess shakes hands or something like that. In other words, when you show kindness, you throw yourself into your work. You see, there are people who throw themselves into the work of service. And then there, there's some that just go through the service. 
And so when we talk about service and serving, we're talking about throwing yourself into it. Not just doing it. And so, see, when he's talking about this, he says, serve the Lord. Throw yourself into it. And, and he furthermore says there, he says to throw, or he says, put away the gods, foreign gods. Wasn't that the same thing that Moses was saying earlier that we read about in the book of Deuteronomy? It was a problem they had. False gods were always a problem. I thought in the book that you prepared, when I read the comments that were read there, Edwin, they were excellent. And, and I just, some of the things there I saw, Israel made up the gods. And, and, you know, you even had the, in the New Testament, you had the unknown God in case you miss one. And so you just have all these gods, and if man can fashion the God, then you can make that God whatever you want it to mean or be. And so in essence, what you're doing, they were not so much as foreign gods as they were of serving themselves. Make something up for yourself. God, over in the book of Exodus, in chapter 20 and verse 3, said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Anything we put in front of God becomes a god. Over in the book of Colossians, chapter 3 and verse 5, it says there we should consider our members dead to the greed which amounts to idolatry. Greediness is idolatry. Furthermore, in the book of Philippians, chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, Whose God is their appetite. Anything that comes in the way of serving God that becomes more important than Him. You know, today we don't have the occasion where when somebody obeys the gospel that they go home and immediately they get out a ball bat and start start knocking down the idols in their houses that they have and beating them and crushing them and and, uh, doing away with them like that. But see, we have other kinds of idols, things we worship. And it could be anything. Things that become more important than God in His service. And so he says here, put away the foreign gods from among you. And then he also says there in verse, in, he says there, uh, in, he says, incline your hearts to the Lord. Incline your hearts by giving God the glory in all that we do, acknowledging Him in our worship, in our prayers, in our devotion, in our study, honoring Him above all else meditating on Him every day that we live. I've started walking the last few months. And there's not a day that goes by when I walk. Nobody says, why don't you walk in the neighborhood? Well, I do sometimes if it's if I'm pressed for time. But I like to go walk on the greenway along the river because I can think good there. And I can enjoy the nature, and what God created. And there's just not a time that I walk that I just don't meditate on God a lot. And I think about my life because I reflect on it and I meditate on it. And I'm thankful that things are as well in my life as they are. Because they weren't always that way. And I'm thankful to God. I'm the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I turned 50 this year. See, one of these days my words are going to begin meaning something to my kids probably. 
They're teenagers right now. They don't mean a lot right now. But one of these days, they're going to be like me with my dad right now. One of these days, my kids will want to go walk with me and talk with me. Spend some time. And if they do, I'll probably be one dishing it out, telling them about life, and giving them some of life's lessons of what I've experienced. But I'll tell you, I think I could do some of that right now. Because I've come to some of the same conclusions. I've come to the same conclusions that Joshua had. And I've come to the same kind of conclusions that Peter had. That it's a value to serve the Lord. And so when I look at this story, as we begin to look at this and close up our message today, I look at the story of Joshua as just but another one of those success stories in the Bible of somebody who we saw at the beginning of their life and we could see them at the end and how they faithfully served the Lord. And what a refreshing thing is to look at the end of their life and know they did it. They did it. When Melanie's grandparents both died, you know the Cliffords, many of you do. Brother and Sister Rufus Clifford. They did it. They lived that life. And I remember Robert Jackson's message. Surely a holy man of God has come our way. So I never forgot it. I kept thinking about it. I thought, how lucky they are. Because they lived that life. Endured. Endured to the end. So, see, I love success stories. I love them. I love being with Truett Cathy the other day. He's 84 years old. And uh, this guy has, they never open us uh, one of their stores on a Sunday. Every Chick-fil-A is closed across the country because their philosophy is, uh, you need to be worshiping the Lord on that day. It's always been their philosophy, and yet uh, most of the prophets, I think uh, about 30% of all prophets come on a Sunday. doesn't matter to them. It's time for them, and he's taught a Bible study every Sunday for the last 54 years to young boys because he'd rather catch them while they're boys and get them on the right start than to try to reform them as men. And I love success stories. I loved it because he said, I was never really good in school. That gave me hope. Listen, I perked up when I heard that. My mother found my report cards here a while back and gave them over to us. My kids looked at them and go, Daddy, you didn't. I said, I did. C's, D's. I didn't like school. But I loved to work. And it turned out okay. Because see, grades are not always the important thing. 
So I love success stories. You know, stories that have overcoming odds and overcoming things, the things people want to hear. What if Joshua's story was, well, I became the leader, no big thing. Everybody was totally obedient. We marched in. We didn't even have to take anything. God had it all prepared for us. So we walked in. We laid back. We enjoyed the fruit and honey and the land that flows with milk and honey. How would that make you feel? But you know why people like success stories? You know why they buy self-help books? Because they want a bad change in their life. They want something to be different in their life. They want some improvement in their life. And that's why I like success stories. And so we see these, and as we look at this this morning, I see three things here. And they all begin with a C. And I'll leave you with these. See, we love to hear a good success story because difficulties are always the things people love to hear that someone overcame. But the first thing from our lesson this morning in this text that I want you to understand is this. You have a choice. That's the first one. You have a choice. I hear my brethren sometimes pray. I don't know where it comes from. But I'll hear brethren sometimes say, and they'll pray to God, and they'll pray for our chance of salvation. Chance of salvation? Is this a lottery? It's not a chance. It's a choice. We need to understand and make sure our terminology is correct. It's not a chance you're going to go to heaven and there's going to be a lottery and you got one of the lucky numbers. See, it's a choice. And so I want you first and foremost as we close here on these three little C's to understand that there is a choice, not a chance. And if you think it's a chance, you probably don't have a chance because the terminology should be correct because you know it is a choice. And so, in Luke chapter 16 and verse 24 there where you have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And here they are in, in hell and they're saying, send somebody to my brother so that they'll listen. Well, they already know they made the wrong choice. And they're saying, well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Moses tries to tell people. So see, it's not a chance. It's a choice that you're going to have. And so what we see here, Joshua had made his choice. And at the end of his life, he's reflecting he had another choice he could have made. He could have chosen not to, not to serve God. But see, Joshua had a choice. And what we're seeing here is a conclusion. The second thing you have is you have control. Not only do you have a choice, but you have control. Because, see, in the Bible, God gave people accountability and He gave you responsibility. It's up to you. You'll have the choice. But you're going to also have control over those choices. And you control those. And in serving God, circumstances don't really matter. Because, see, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you're rich. That's not going to help you with regard to God. Your riches aren't going to help you. Fame won't help you. Your position in life is not going to help you. It's not going to help you if you're educated. Uh, it's not going to help you if you have some physical characteristic or lack of one. Think about Zacchaeus in the Bible. 
was a man, tax collector, thought if he had defrauded anybody, he'd repay them four times. Children in the classes sing the wee little man. But I'm going to tell you what, he was a man that could serve God. So it doesn't matter what our pedigree is. Paul found that out. It doesn't matter what our family is, who we were born with. Ezekiel chapter 18 talks about the son doesn't inherit the sins of the father, or the father responsible for the sins of the son. And so it doesn't matter if we were born at the right place, at the right time, in the right family, in the right country. None of those things matter. It's a choice that you make. It's a choice you have today. So see, you have a choice, and you're going to have the control of it today. And so here, Paul had a choice. He could have stayed where he was at. He enjoyed lots of things. But as a result, he gave it all up. And so I can't control many things, but I'll tell you one thing I can, and you can, and that's yourself. Because you're going to decide the choices that you make. And so every day, something in every decision and everything we do, it matters. My friend John Maxwell wrote a book called Today Matters. The whole thing is, today matters. And every choice that you make has a compounding effect. And so see, today what I'm talking about also is not that we make some grand change. It's the little things. It's the little deposits we make every day in our service, in our fearing God, in our service to God. Because they have a compounding and they have a cumulative effect in our life, in our service to God. The last thing I'm going to say, or the last C today, is the conclusion. And that is, I've never seen somebody who served the Lord faithful come up with a different conclusion. And at the end go... Boy, I really hate it that I served God all these years. But I'll tell you what I see is people who regret that they didn't. And so, in conclusion, what I see with them is they had no regrets. Peter didn't have a regret. Paul didn't have any regrets. Joshua didn't have any regrets. None of them had any regrets. And so the saddest thing I know is when people, is people who get older, but they just don't get better. That's sad. Because in our service to God, we ought to be getting better every day. We ought to be better in our service. And Joshua's conclusion was this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so see... Success stories are always good. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was good. It's what gives us our hope. And every time we listen to a success story, it's because we're hoping it will affect us. But see, it's going to only be good. It's only going to be good to the extent that it applies to somebody besides Jesus. It's going to only be good for us if this applies to someone beside Joshua. Because, see, the message this morning is only going to be good if it applies to you. And that's what our choice is today, to serve Him. To serve Him faithfully. 
Jesus' victory over death and Satan, that was good for him, but it's only good if it applies to someone besides Jesus. And that is we live this life. Over in the book of Matthew, I'll close with this. In the book of, pardon me, it's in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 6, Luke here records the Beatitudes also. But he says in verse 20, he says, And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and they insult you and scorn your name as envy for the sake of the Son of Man. But in verse 23 it says, Be glad in that day and weep for joy. For behold, your reward in heaven is great. This morning, you've got a choice. You control that choice this morning. If there's somebody that's looking at their life and weighing it this morning, and it's not what it should be, you've got the opportunity this morning. Start making the right choices. And when you serve the Lord, I think you can come confidently as all the rest of these great Bible characters and heroes have been. At the end, you'll have no regrets for the decision that you make today. I hope this look at Joshua 24 was beneficial to you. Let's remember those three final lessons that Brother Cavender taught us. First of all, it's a choice, not a chance. Second, we have control over the choice. Third, if we control the choices, we'll have the proper conclusion. No regrets. If you have any questions about serving the Lord, about how to help your family serve the Lord, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please give us a call at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this lesson on CD or on tape. If that's the case, let me encourage you again, go to that website I just mentioned. It's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have several lessons from this series on the home built by the Lord, our 2005 Fall Focus. Additionally, we have all kinds of lessons on numerous topics that you're free to download, both in outline and audio format. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.